0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your boy C I W Z Y, a.k.a. Collis. You already know who it is. We're back at it again with another episode of the Collis Stutzer Show. And as I tell you guys every single week, we're coming back with the fire guest, And I've yet to lie, because what? You guys already know. Truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. And we're all about virtue building over here. So we got to make sure we keep the honesty coming. So we're back again with an amazing guest by the name of Dr. Juliet Nelson. I'm going to let her introduce herself to everyone out here in the world that's listening right now, whether it's 2022 or 2025, because the beauty of podcasts is they are evergreen. They last forever. You can listen to this whenever you want. So Dr. Nelson, I hope you come back to listen to this in the future. I know I will, but go ahead and introduce yourself to the people.
1: Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Juliet Nelson. Um, I think there's maybe a lot of it or a little bit to say. Um, I am an industrial and organizational psychology practitioner during the day. Um, I own four companies and I work on them in the evening time, Junuri, Junuri Publishing, Nuri Lens, and Wazin. Um, outside of that, I love to watch Korean dramas. Um, I love language learning um, and I love celebrating life. Um, biggest motto in life is to be kind to yourself and be kind to others. So that's me in a short, long, short,
0: long version. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. You know, I always make sure to say thank you you guys. Um, you know, these individuals that come onto the show to share some game to tell a little bit about their story, they don't have to be on here. So definitely make sure we practice gratitude as we listen and I'm practicing gratitude as I interview right so. Um, Let's jump right into the first question of the day. And the first question of the day is, where did you grow up? Where are you from? Let's talk about the origin story. Like, you know, five, six-year-old Dr. Nelson, where were you? What were you doing? <laughs> well, shout
1: out to uh, Spring Valley, New York. Um, I grew up in a small town um, that wasn't a dot on the map once upon a time. <laughs> um, and I say that in a sense, like, people really didn't know Spring Valley much. Um, but it is what people from new york city would call upstate new york not really upstate but that's what they call it um it's the exclusiveness of new york city but yeah i i grew up in spring valley new york very small town um surrounded by family friends church family loved ones and yeah
0: i love it and and you know that kind of leads into my next question which was going to be about you know your parents what they did growing up how did they end up in spring valley can i tell
1: you i don't know i that's a good question um <laughs> my my, oh, my father, both of them were born in Haiti. Um, and then my mother's side of the family, my mother and her family, a lot of them moved to St. Martin. So a lot of my first my my first cousins, they were born in St. Martin. Um, and then you know, my mother's first cousins were more than likely born and raised in Haiti. Um, some of them now live in the States, others live in St. Martin and so on and so forth. Um, I have a couple of others that probably like were born in France, and I don't know how that happened. Um, And yeah, and most of my father's uh, family, all of his siblings, my grandparents, they all live in New York now. So how they got there, I don't know. Um, I think New York is one of the big hubs, they say, for Haitians, the Haitian diaspora. They say the three cities in the United States to Haitians is... New York, Boston, and Miami. So, um we ended up in one of the big ones.
0: <laughs> I love Sunday it. I love it. And that makes sense. So. That makes sense. That makes sense. I do look forward to doubling this interview up here in a year or two and then yeah. having some more information on how they got here. um uh, right. I to hear that awesome story. I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, uh interesting things experiences that they experienced, you know, growing up and then coming to the right. states. So, right. um I want to dive into a little bit about Haitian culture for people out there who have no idea about where Haiti is, no idea about, you know, what, you know, Haitian culture is. Can you name maybe a few things that you admire about the culture you grew up in? Um, Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, Haitian culture, first and foremost, it's the resilience. It's the the history of Haiti. I think people look at Haiti now and it's like, oh, this is a third world country. And of course, every country has its issues, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we're living in the United States. We know better than anyone (laughs) that every country has its issues. Um, but one, the first thing I love about it is just the, the history of resilience, right? The history of boldness. They do say that history just, uh, Haiti became an example. And, and that's basically the reason why we live in the sense of, I would say like desperation or poverty that we live in now, because we were the first um, colony back in those days to say enough is enough. Um, mm-hmm. We're not working for y'all no more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if we haven't slaves, we're gonna do this on our terms, <laughs> but we're not doing it on some foreigners' terms. And so we fought in and and got slavery for ourselves. And I think the beautiful thing, um, and I've said mentioned this on other platforms and so on and so forth. I think that's what really keeps me going. It's the thought of I mean, even slaves here, you know, in the in the Americas, throughout the Americas, whether in the the states and and beyond, um, it's just the thought that. Freedom is worth fighting for, even though I'm not going to see it myself, right? Mm. Um, Maybe my children will see it, my children's children, my children's children's children, and down the line. And so I think I sit in gratitude, a lot of gratitude, um, even thinking of the sacrifices my grandmother made, uh, my grandparents, uh, my parents, and so on and so forth. It's like maybe I won't see all of the fruits of my labor, right? But because I know my children might see it or my children's children or even my community my community might benefit from it, it's worth fighting for. So I think that's the first thing that really makes me super, super proud of Haitian culture. Um, and honestly, we're just uh, it's it's a pretty dope culture. The food is good. Um, it's very colorful. I think when people go to the Caribbean, we'll see that. And, you know, very colorful, very lively. Um, we're very, very expressive, whether it's in happiness, whether it's in sadness, whether it's in pain. Um, some people might call it dramatics. Um, and oftentimes we do, but that's just the reality. And I think that makes me just, it's its just something to be so proud of where even in the hardest of hardest times, we're going to, what do they call it? Make, um, take lemons and make lemonade, right? Um, and so those are just the things that I love about it. The music's good, the food is the food is especially good. And some people might debate that um, the fact that Haitian rice is probably the best is more than likely not up for debate. Um, but That's, yeah, that is a
0: very, very strong statement.
1: It is, and I I promise you, you can go to anybody around the Caribbean. They will. So Haitians have something called black rice, and it's actually mushroom rice. But and, and I can't describe the taste, but it's just good. And every island loves it. Africans love it. Once you taste it, you know it's solid. Um, every other dish, you know, you can debate us on chicken, goat, all of that. But when it comes to Haitian rice, it stops here.
0: <laughs> it stops. All tier. right. Well, that 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 gets me excited about tasting our spot that has haitian rice because you know being somebody that comes from Tanzania, you know a tanzanian mother right. and you know been back to africa and grew up around a lot of different cultures with amazing rice like rice is like a standard and like yeah. people fight over their rice in different countries like yo this is like you no know, our rice is the best it's like barbecue in like the middle of america it's
1: like
0: right. <laughs> it's everyone it, thinks it's that's
1: a big r- yeah mm-hmm. and i've heard right. jollof rice um they've said that jollof rice and the thing is i've only had jollof rice once i lived in south korea um, and we went to this uh, place called Myongdong, which is where most foreigners in South Korea lived. And that's where a lot of um, Africans would settle. And oh, wow. I was looking for plantain. I love plantain. That's like one of my favorite foods. And I found plantain for the first time in months. Um, and it was at this African restaurant. So they also served this rice. It was my first time having jollof rice, but I can't tell you, I remember how it tastes, but I've been told it's the best rice ever. And I kind of feel embarrassed saying that because I need to step my game up. <laughs> if I claim Haitian rice is the best rice, I should be able to like, you know what I mean, try all okay. of them. Hey.
0: Look, look, look. All, all that matters is that you just put some people on game. They're about to all be searching for some Haitian rice. So we love that. We love that. <laughs> I'm happy. And we're gonna, we're going to dive into your experience, you know, traveling overseas here shortly, especially what you just shared right there because I find that really dope. Um But I did want to ask you because we just talked about some of the emotions or feelings that arise when we talk about Haiti. What are some emotions or feelings or thoughts that arrive when you think about your name, Juliet? So, like, what, when you hear Juliet, what does the name mean to you? What emotions or thoughts arise?
1: I didn't tell you emotions or thoughts really come up. It's just my, I guess, for it's just my, I will say it does mean a lot to me. I will say that my father named me. and it's like the cheesiest, I don't have like, there's, I don't think there's like a romantic story behind my name, which disappoints me a little bit. <laughs> my father said he had a dream that he named me Juliet. And here I am, Juliet. Mm. I asked my mother the story. And she's like, listen, I gave birth to you. I guess it was a C-section. And when they brought me back, they they presented me, you to me as Juliet. I was like, wait, so you didn't have a say? You didn't, you couldn't even fight. You couldn't argue. And I forgot what name she had in mind at first. But when she told me what it was, I wasn't impressed. So I said, it's a good thing that they just brought me back to you with the name Juliet. That is um, name. <laughs> nevertheless, um, I I do like my name. Um, I think I would love whatever name I was given um, just because it was my parents who gave it to me. I'm an only child. So um, I do love and cherish my parents. Uh, my name is actually French, Juliette. Um, so... I hear it most, when when my name is said in French properly, I hear it with and receive it with the most affection when it's said yeah. in French. Um, of course, living yeah. in the United States, I understand people can't drag the J um, or emphasize the U and so on and so forth. So I'm very receptive of that. Um, but I will tell you when I hear someone say my name, Juliette, um, interesting story, even when I defended my dissertation for my PhD, uh, my dissertation mentor, he is an Italian man. Yes, he's Italian. And I remember when I passed, the first thing he said was Dr. Juliet Nelson. And I was like, oh my gosh, Like, I, I, I it, it actually made sense because I heard my name in its purest, its real form. Um, but in terms of what it means, I mean, I have looked at the name of the meaning. I think it means like youthful and um, soft haired. Um, so I I mean I some people might say I have very much of a childlike heart and and old soul at the same time um, which speaks to sometimes a lot of my energy but that's about all meaning we um, get as far as with my name so
0: no I, I love it I think uh, when I asked that question I just want to what stories pop up and i got some good stories right there so
1: (laughs) i do have a south korean name and and um when i lived in south korea and i know you mentioned we'll talk about it but i was given the name nanuri which means to share um and when i did live in south korea you know um that was something i brought with me from haitian culture my mother would actually like freeze and ship spices haitian spices to me they call it ippies. so i would cook in my household we ate um, haitian food in south korea and my roommate she's puerto rican so uh, my roommate at the time, she's Puerto Rican. So, you know, I would also mix in a little bit of Puerto Rican cuisine. Um, and so I would host, you know, I would host um, dinners, lunch at my house. And sometimes students would come, um, church members would come. Sometimes I would cook like huge pots of food and bring it to the church mm-hmm. for lunch um and that's just a typical thing there were times and this is a very typical Haitian thing where you cook but um family members cousins aunts uncles everybody's coming for their little with their Tupperware to separate the food so I would do that and I would bring Tupperware for the secretaries and the staff Um, um and I'm like yeah here's dinner um so I you know I was told that the name was fitting because I did that often when someone was sick I was always coming up with the remedies and the ginger and the tea and all of that um, but all to say, um, toward the end of my trip, I was given the name Nahuri, which means to share in Korean. Um, and I was commissioned to share my gift wherever I go. And so you'll notice that I have the company named Junuri. I have the company name Nuri Lens. And it's a way of kind of keeping that uh, commission um, and that calling um, with me. So, yeah.
0: Love it. I love it. And how did you end up? leaving the states and going all the way across the world so i know there's probably a little bit that we're jumping over here um right. in regards to so so actually before we go into that you know let's start at like 14 15 are you still in spring valley when you're in your teenage years or not spring oh. valley right it's just spring valley. Right, right
1: right so 14 actually um two weeks before my 14th birthday i move upstate further up to orange yeah. county um, okay. and that's, um, it's people, a lot of people know it as Middletown, but what they did is they built a new town out of Middletown called Scotchtown. Wow. Um, so that's where my parents moved. I was extremely disgruntled, but you know, we came from very humble beginnings. I didn't even have my own room. I was moving, you know, we're coming from a one bedroom apartment. Um, I hope my parents don't kill me for saying that, but we came from a one bedroom apartment, um I'm personally not ashamed of it because I know back then growing up in Spring Valley I felt like even I don't think I really understood if my parents had money problems or anything like that I can't tell you I've understood it um even till this day because I felt like I was the richest kid in the world because I had my family I had my parents I had my cousins uh, and so on and so forth um and so I I guess that's what meant the most to me um so I remember being very disgruntled at 14 moving up getting my own bedroom um and you know but moving to a new town and of course having to adjust and so on and so forth but that's that's what uh teenagehood was like going to a new school and of course also having a new experience um growing up in spring valley it was more of uh diversity um in ethnicity and race and so on and so forth so it wasn't i don't from what i remember it wasn't i don't want to call it too much of one um i don't know that that would be fair to say but it it wasn't I, there wasn't what we call now uh, underrepresentation, right? You found people that you could really identify with. So I was in honors classes and I was in the same classes with other white kids and other black kids. It wasn't like, oh, I'm the one black kid in my class. There were Asians, there were Hispanics. So um, I think it, it was easier to just love people just for who they are. Um, you know, I know people say I don't see color in a sense. Um, I think in those times, where your race or your ethnicity didn't really determine how far you moved up in those situations as a kid, color didn't really matter. Um, And I'm being very careful in saying that um, because that doesn't take away from any negative experiences that people have. But then I moved upstate and then I went to an all, for the most part, a predominantly Caucasian school. So the experience now shift as well as the, the culture shock, which increased, so.
0: Yeah, and I want to dive into maybe some positive learnings or some 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 benefits you you maybe see out of that experience. I only want to touch on that because it, I don't know what it is. I don't specifically select guests that have this experience, but it seems like every guest I have on the show started, you know, going to school in a, either in a very diverse area or a predominantly black area. And then when they were like 11, 12 or 13, their parents finally, you know, maybe got a better job or maybe just made the decision right. to move to a, quote unquote, a little bit more upper class area or just to the suburbs, let's just say to the suburbs. Right. And so would move there and then they started going to a predominantly white school and their experience was like, you know, it's always interesting to hear their experience. So I'd love to hear, you know, any Maybe learnings you had during that time period or any obstacles you had to jump over mentally or, right, or right, just right. experience.
1: Well, I'll say this. When I moved, this was uh 2014. So this is a few years after September, the, the 9-11 attacks happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing a huge, um, I don't want to call it like a huge exodus, but a, a a significant number of people moved from New York City, um, from you know, Rockland and they started heading upstate. Of course, from what I remember um, like adults mentioning is that the housing market was also more, it was better um, to move upstate than to stay in Rockland to live in the city. So that's just for context. Um, I think when I moved, um, and I'm not gonna say it was completely safe growing up in Spring Valley, like we had the hood in Spring Valley. Um, and and you know you have gang activity and and whatever the case may be, but of course when you have human beings that congregate in an area, um, naturally there will be conflict, um, no matter what we like to call it or attribute it to. Um, exactly. Moving upstate, um, that's where now I'm like one of the only few black kids in the class, right? Yeah. And I took college classes beginning um, in 11th grade. I was in higher level classes, but it, it was weird because I I. When I found more Black kids, it was in um, the, I would guess, the, the standard level classes in a sense. Um, and so I felt like I most belonged in those classes. I was more engaged. I, um, you know, I got the work done, don't get me wrong, and no matter which class I was, but I was more engaged. I paid attention more because I, again, I have this sense of belonging and, um, I had some nice experiences, um, of course, negative experiences. I I have been on the receiving end of bias, of prejudice, even from teachers. Um, but I will say one thing I've learned, and, and this is my perspective when it comes to differences between white and black and so on and so forth. Um, this is not to negate anybody else's experiences and not to also say that Um, I haven't, I I don't, I wasn't affected by my negative experiences, I'll say. What I did realize going to more of a predominantly white school, being in classes where I was the only black kid, I think sometimes we fail to not realize that, um, what some white people, that's all they know. It's, it. sometimes it's just really ignorance and even if it comes out mean, um, oftentimes it starts out ignorance. You grew up in this town, you never, it was only you, everybody looks like you, right? That's their feeling of belonging. Um, everybody looks like you, whether you're the smartest or the dumbest, whether you're the, or not so smartest, whether you're the richest or not the richest, um, everybody looks like you. Now you have people coming up and they don't look like you right and they're in your classes maybe you're the smartest and they're in your classes and you're competing with them um and so and they and you see them as different so whether they speak whether however they walk however they dress it's very different from you and so I think in my head what I started to put in my head was that this is a lot of it is this is all they've known right? Um, and I think that's what has helped me to bear my experience. It's not that I hadn't had negative experience because I came up there and I was like, listen, if some kid called me the N-word, it's, it's about to be a wrap. And my mother said, listen, I ain't send you to school to fight anybody. But I always had that in my head. Nevertheless, I started to, I did start to have to accept the fact that that is part of their reality, right? The same way I came from this town that was extremely diverse and it's a culture shock for me every, they have their culture shocks as well so I think that was something um I think till this day that's I keep that in my head also li- having lived in South Korea right I was able to have a positive experience because part of what I kept in mind was they don't they they don't see much of me over there and whether it's right whether it's wrong whether they might say things that are tone deaf that is just the reality that sits at the foundation so there's ignorance and when you choose not to know right when you have an opportunity to learn an opportunity to grow an opportunity to understand and you choose not to do that that's when that ignorance transfers into stupidity right um and so i think that's what i've kept in my head um and i think that's what i mean helps me now in being um more willing than not um, to have conversations about what makes me different from other people, have more willing to have conversations where I can share my experiences if I'm in the headspace to do so. Um, but that's, I would say that's one thing that I did take out of my high school experience. It's not to say that I liked it though. I liked high school. I hated it. I would tell people I went to homeschool school because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't care about the the high school experience, but I will say that is one positive thing I pulled out of it.
0: I love it. I love it. And so it sounds like, you know, um, you were a solid student ended up going to college or was entrepreneurship a thing right out of high school? You're like, I'm gonna start a business. Like, what was that route? And how did it lead you to, uh, I believe you said South Korea? Right.
1: So um, I ended up going to college. Um, same thing with college. It was predominantly white at the time. So by this time, like I'm already, I've already conditioned myself where it's like, girl, you going in and get your education and leave. You're not making friends. None of that. I probably had like two or three friends in college. I can't make it up the whole four years. And when my mother found out that I had one, she was just blown away. Like, you have friends? Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but no, college was, I went, I did my four years. Um, I was on my way to go to law school. So um, the goal was after college, I did I studied business administration. I was really passionate about culture. My father's a history teacher. Um, so I picked up a minor in history, I didn't care about American history at all, um, which was which was not very smart of me now that I I look at, you know, life in this country now, um, I think I perhaps would be able to identify a little bit more with American culture if I, I um, took on American history in my studies but Nevertheless, my studies were more um, African history, um, Nazi Germany, which was one of my favorite classes, um, really digging into the thought processes of um, people, cultures around the world, Latin American history, um, Black history, um, African civilizations, I said that, Um, and I believe I did one on Asian civilizations, if I'm not mistaken, but that was what I learned and I coupled that with my business acumen, my business major. So I was really excited about getting a job where I can travel around the world and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think when I graduated around the senior year, I was given the opportunity to just go to teach in South Korea, I found out that all I needed was my bachelor's. So I was like, okay, Sure. And I kind of was planning to do it, but I didn't realize what I was doing. So it wasn't definite that I was going until I was on the plane crying. And I know, like, I can't tell them to turn the plane around or land the plane. You know, we're flying over Japan or something. We're flying over whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's really how it wasn't much thought I put into it. Um, but that's what led me to South Korea. And I think my my experience in South Korea is what kind of led to this um, rediscovery of myself um, even though there was so much I didn't know about myself but that was really what planted the seed it was all in South Korea and it was at that moment I called my parents and I was like I I don't think I'm gonna be going to law school when I get back home and they were not happy about it I will tell you that I they're bet. like well, well what are you gonna do you're not gonna be the family lawyer like what are you what are you gonna do not go to law school is what I'm not going to do, is what I'm going to do. That's all I can um, tell you
0: now.
1: <laughs> right. Um, and so I will tell you, business ownership was never on my mind. I didn't even want to be a business owner. Um, I think it was more tragedy that led me into that, um, in a sense, that w- maybe started that um, path, uh, 20, uh, 2017, uh, July, my best friend, um, one of my best friends of almost 20 years, he committed suicide. So it put me in this whirlwind of, wow, like what is life? It really has you question a lot of stuff. What is life? How does that work? Um, you know, um, what pain must he have been going through? And what is my purpose now on this earth, right? Cause now someone has died in such a way and you um, you just don't know how to make up for it in a sense. Um, you sit with the, what should I have done? Did I do enough? Um, And so you kind of sit in that state. Um, So by 2018, in the beginning, by the end of 2018, beginning of 2018, um, I kind of was just reminded that I had a purpose um, to serve, to make an impact, a calling to share my gift, my triumph, my challenges and so on and so forth. And so that kind of led to me taking my skills in tutoring and resume building and so on and so forth. And that's what had me found my first company, Junuri. Um, When I founded that company, my first logo was actually a pair of glasses. It was blinged out glasses and I wanted to be a brat. I knew better. I knew I shouldn't have a logo like that, but I had it. It was, uh, I think it was like silver and gold or something blinged out and it said Junuri and it had my Korean name on it Um, and a lot of people said like are you selling eyewear and I'm like no I'm offering tutoring services Um, but I did jokingly tell God I said the next pair of glasses I buy has to be when I design and so Mm -hmm. the rest is history but to say that I really was like passionate about being an entrepreneur and owning a business I, I didn't care much for that.
0: I love it. And could you could you uh, share how you tr- uh well what your idea was for the the glasses? Like, well, let me let me reframe this question. So, um, you you were a big collector of glasses at first, correct? Before yes. before thinking about starting the company. So, yes. um, inside of collecting all of these glasses, was there a specific style? Was there a specific feel that you like really liked, and is what inspired? Um, you know, your first edition of Nuri Lens or were you just like, hey, I love glasses and whatever I design is what I'm going to design. So just kind of talk about the the, the launching process of, of Nuri Lens and then, you know, how you came up with the first design. Did you draw it yourself? Just want to hear a little bit about that process.
1: Right. So um, honestly, a lot of the designs came from, if not all of them, no, most of them came from inspiration of what I had in my uh, collection currently. Um, I think when I decided that I wanted a wood collection, I did look at like what other wood frames looked like um, for inspiration. Um, I looked at just other existing eyewear companies, right? Um, Because again, it's not as many wood frames. And so I think using the three with my collection at the forefront, Um, I just took out a sketchbook. I think the first was like going on Google because I'm not the best drawer, um, and going on Google and like getting a silhouette of just a standard shape. Right. And then starting with that. And then I started tweaking the shape and tweaking the size. And then I would hold my glasses and look at them and say, okay, what do I like about this pair of glasses from my collection? Um, what makes it fun? What makes it funky? Um, And I think I realized like I would need to replace my frames, Um, some of them were breaking and all that so it it was almost a way of kind of like placing what I know I needed. Um, (laughs) um, Some of my favorite pairs and so on and so forth, but you know outside of that, then it was getting um, different wood palettes, right so looking at the wood pallets that I could use to apply to each design. And that really helped inform <clears throat> the completion of the design. I know for some of them, like I knew I had my, uh, my, for example, my blinged out glasses, but I'm like, okay, this is how I want it to look from like a wood perspective. Um, and so when I worked with um, the manufacturer, will tell you I drove them crazy so they would send me a CAD drawing and they're like Juliet we're not going to do anything and I'm like okay okay sure (laughs) sure and then I get it I'm like no wait if we could just move this part here so it 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 takes a lot of work I will also say even my case it's made out of rosewood um and that it looks like a treasure chest and I don't have one like immediately in my um hand distance but it's it's like a treasure chest. And I think that was one of the things I wanted to also give as if when they open this treasure chest, they're stepping into this experience um, when they open it and pick up their glasses. So it was a lot of thought that also went into it. How do I want customers to feel when they're picking up the frames? There were also a lot of, of course, I wear prescription eyeglasses. So you also have to think about that when it comes to the design. And so I had to speak to the manufacturer about, for example, the the temples that sit on the ear, um, how far do they curl in or they stretch out? And how do I ensure that it's something that's neutral so that um, no matter your gender type or identity, it it fits well. Um, Also having a broader nose um as a black person thinking of that and even now i still think of that um because i realized that my broad nose is not the same broad nose that another person will have um so that's just to say a lot of what went into the design process for um the launching of New relance
0: i love it i love it and so 2012 you were arriving in south korea is that correct and the, and the plan was to be there for a year
1: i would like to say yes yes it was <laughs> 2013, so, 2013 but i think it was 2012 yes it was 2012 yes
0: and so in that time period between then and founding you know uh, uh, forgive me if i say this wrong but uh what about the the, the first one january June? January? yes january, yes yes january yes. so mm-hmm. uh you found that in 2018 would that be correct okay so there's a correct there's a five, six year window there between arriving in South Korea and then launching your first business. So were you back in the States by then or did you launch the business out of South Korea? Like, did you only stay in South Korea for a year? Let's kind of stay on South Korea for a little bit longer. Um, so did you stay there for only a year? Okay. So, I,
1: so I did, um, I think I was there in July. So I did July, August, September, October and each in South Korea, well, at the, the English Institute I taught at, each term was two months. So I took, I did uh, July, August, September, October. I did November and December. I came back, I took a break and came back to the States to spend the holidays and my birthday with my family. And then I returned, thankfully I was able to go back to my English Institute and resume my post. Um, and so I did the last eight to 10 months. I I would say eight months, cause I left in August. Um, but yeah, and, and that's where I kind of that's where the love for eyewear began, right? Um oh, when I moved to actually. South Korea. Um uh, and I have this habit of collecting things. So before I moved to South Korea, it was keychains. I have this huge collection of keychains. Um, when people give me keychains, I ha- I have to hang them. I don't know why I can't throw them away. Um, but <laughs> I just loved keychains as a kid and, and I kind of hold on to that, but um when I went to South Korea, I remember walking into the doctor's office for a pair of glasses, and they' were like, "Your fee is thirty dollars." And I said, "That's it." They're like, "Yeah, thirty dollars." I said, "So how much is the eye exam? It's included in the thirty dollars." I said, "What about the frame? Thirty dollars. What about the let?" and And I realized that the cost to get a pair of eyeglasses with a prescription in South Korea was much less than that it was than it was, you know in the United States. And in South Korea, you know, people um, and I watched a lot of Korean dramas too. So there's a lot of um, style and fashion when it comes to what goes on the eyes. And people had round glasses and and rectangle and square. Like they, it wasn't just one type, right? And I came from this conservative town where not there's almost like a standard, right? Or there's a style or there's a trend. Um, and now it's like people wear what they want. So I started purchasing frames in different colors and different shapes and so on and so forth. But that really helped. Um, I would say that was part of the seeds that were planted that led to me forming Nuri Lens. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I, I didn't want to start a business. So even going to Junuri, um, that's when I moved. So we're back in Korea. We come back to the States in 2013. Um And then in 2016, I moved to the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, the DMV area. And this is my first time living on my own. So I picked up a gig as a freelance uh, tutor. Um, And then, but while I was tutoring, I was still going back to New York being a children's choir director. Um, So there was still a lot of things going on in that transition. And so by 2018, Not only was I tutoring, but I was also doing resumes for my friends and so on and so forth. Um, And I guess I had this leadership experience that a lot of people admired. Um, So I kind of took those skills and just put them under the umbrella of Junuri, um, as we now know it today.
0: I love it. I love it. And so at the beginning of the episode today, you you have four separate businesses and you also work a job during the day so can we talk a little bit about maybe some resources or some strategies that you utilize in order to manage the different businesses give enough attention to the different businesses while also managing your you know work life outside of entrepreneurship and just social life and right. I see you got a lot of books behind you maybe you read a lot who knows like you know how everything else can you kind of just talk about maybe the past two years and how that's been
1: Right. Um, in terms of uh finding the balance, um, hmm, that's a very good question. And balance looks different every yeah. every day, all the time. It looks extremely different for me. Um, and and as you mentioned, it's different for everyone as well. Um, and I want to. <laughs> smart in answering this. So sometimes balance, depending on my needs, I will say sometimes it is, and these are still things I do for the most part, but sometimes it is, um, taking myself out to eat every payday and sitting in a restaurant on a date by myself. My friends know it. They don't argue. I've done this in a relationship and I'm like, I'm going on a date with myself. And the person I was with just had to, that's what it is. I'll give you you time when it's you time, but this is my time with me. Um, So that's something I do and it just allows me to pause and think and and just be with myself in my head. Um, So yeah, that's that. I also write to-do lists. So you might notice um, something slanting here. That is a huge whiteboard that has my new year syllabus and it has my yearly goals. Those goals are broken up into quarter goals. Those quarter goals are broken up into monthly milestones. And I break those down into action items and to do's. Um, And that really helps me really see where I'm at. Um, And it puts everything down on paper. Um, So I'm able to kind of look at all four businesses and my professional goals um, at the same time. Another thing that I did, especially in the past two years was I redesigned my home. So, that there was really very much a separation of what I did for the government versus what I do for myself versus the time that I take to pause. Um, so, that included getting rid of furniture, um, you know, clearing up space, um, putting different, more color, making it brighter, um, just so that it can facilitate my creativity but also allow me to kind of um, move from one space to the other and and still maintain some level of peace. Um, that's been very helpful. I also, and not a lot of people do this, but I do separate my work. Um, and so the work that I do for the government, I work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, that's my specific role. Um, I don't do that in New Lens, I don't do that Uh, That's not my exact title. Now, is that in my head? Is that a foundation? Is that a value? Yes. And so when I do Junuri, when I do NuriLens, I work with the team and they understand that, that our language, we want to ensure that we're inclusive in our language. Um, I do not want to be one of those companies that consciously caused trauma or discomfort to some group of people, and now I'm having to make it up with statements and with all these things. I just want to do it right the first time. So I don't have to make political statements. I don't have to do all these big things. You come in and and you see what it is. Um, And so again, even though my title isn't diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's the foundation of the work um, that we lead with. Um, So nevertheless, I still separate it. And that also helps for me maintain my sanity a little bit because I know that during the day I can do, um, I can work as an industrial and organizational psychology practitioner, you know, with that focus in DEI. Um, and it's not always gonna be easy. It's a lot of work, it takes a lot of brain power, but I can clock out of it, right? I can clock out of it, I can separate myself from it, and then I can do the eyewear, and then I can do something else. Um, and that's been very helpful because I think when you're just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, when you need a break from it, it's almost hard to get an escape, if that makes sense. So I think it's helpful that they're just different things that I work on. Um, lastly, I think in the last two years, um, I really learned to try to do better, be better about prioritizing. I'll say it's second to last, I, to try, do better about prioritizing and so um knowing that I can't put in a thousand percent into all four businesses at the same time and so finding a way where I can say, okay if I'm putting more focus on this one business, how do I still ensure that I'm keeping the other ones running at a minimum right um and being okay with that so right now I'm in the space of rebranding. Um, and trying to find a way for each company to kind of live on their own. And so the biggest priority is my problem child, New Lens, the eyewear company. Um, but the other ones, it doesn't mean that I've neglected them. I do make sure that I'm giving time to them as well. It's just, of course, saying, OK, this is more of a priority. But what is the work that I'm still going to dedicate to the other Uh, three companies. And then the last thing is really um, giving myself grace. And that's something I'm constantly learning over and over and over again, Um, because I'm a person who likes to work, 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 bury myself in my work, and then forget that I really need to step out of that bubble. Um, So being kind to myself, being okay with saying, like, I just, I have nothing for today and doing nothing. Um, Being okay with saying, hey, um, you know, I'm going to step out and also creating more opportunities for me to unplug and uncharge. So getting my hair done, that was something I started um, when we were able to leave our homes again. I actually, every two weeks, I don't do my hair. I go to my hairdresser, um, shout out to Khadija. Anyway, my hairdresser who colors my hair, who helps me show my personality all through through my hair. But that was really one way of me saying, okay, I can't touch my phone, I can't do anything with it. Um, I started getting massages, my nails, that's a big deal, but creating these opportunities where I can't do, I cannot access my phone, right? I just have to be present at that moment at whatever is happening, instead of having my mind in 1500 million places. Um, And then always also being okay and intentional about saying, okay, I'm gonna take one to two days off every so often, um, just to unplug, just to step away from it all, because that's also needed. So that's, I guess, a long, short, long, short version of um, how I kind of manage all of it.
0: I love it. I love it. I also like the long, short, long, short. I'm going to start using that.
1: Yeah. Because because then, you know, like you thought it was, you wanted it to be short, but it's not. It's long. And maybe it should have been short, but anyway. And
0: yeah. maybe it was short to the person who wanted a longer answer. You never right. Heard. But you saw it as long. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And so, you know, you, you launched your first business 2018. You, you know, you still doing business today. So it's about four or five years being in, you know, business and in entrepreneurship. So us, you know, five to six years, who who has had the, I guess, greatest impact on your journey as an entrepreneur, whether it's, it could be an individual you actually know, it could be somebody virtually, it could be a book, like, but just in general, who or what, has had the greatest impact on your journey as an entrepreneur over the past four to five years?
1: Okay, so I have two friends in my circle. Um, They are also entrepreneurs. They own TW Tote. Um, Well, actually Thomas and Winter R&D. And one of their products is this fancy lunch tote um, for the modern professional. It was intended for men um, and then women picked it up because I have it as a handbag and a lunch bag, anyway. um, But these are two of my closest friends. Um, And I think these are also the two people who've taught me um, among other, my other friends, um, but because they have like the closest access to me, they've taught me the true meaning of friendship, um, of family, um, love, uh, forgiveness, um, yeah, kindness. And so part of that is also you know, when I was forming Nuri Lens, I knew that there were skills they had that actually. I I yeah. was more versed in the service business yeah. because I had Nuri. Yeah. Product was not my thing. And I hate to say it. I don't want it to be my thing because it's, it's, it's hard. It is a different oh, yeah. beast um, when you're managing a product. Um, but they've had the biggest influence in really holding me accountable, um, you know, what is your strategy on this? What is your strategy on that? And them also being accepting and and holding space for who I was along my entrepreneur journey, right? Um, I think what happens as, and you might see this as a podcaster, you start, you launch your venture, your project, and then you get bum rushed with people who are trying to market for you, who are trying to coach and who are this and who are that. But what they're giving you is often a cookie cutter approach, to whatever you're doing it's not them taking the time right to for example listen to to the stories from the guests that you're sharing right and then say hey i have some marketing services but maybe you know here's a, a proposal that i have that's really unique to you right um or really getting to know what your passion your ambition what's your your ambition what your vision is for your project um, and my two friends have done that, really knowing who I am as a person and the things that make me uh, that that motivate me, that really push me, um, and also the story at the foundation of the eyewear company. And so using all of those things, they're really able to pour into me, um, and, you know, give ideas and so on and so forth. And of course, it's it's a friendship. So I also do support their business. Um, I'm currently competing, I think with like their brothers or something on who has the most products from the line, but, um, but all to say they, they do, they have had the strongest influence on me as an entrepreneur. This is not to say that other people haven't because, um, I am absolutely blessed and I'm grateful and I'm humbled to really have been able to surround myself with a good network of people whether it's as an industrial and organizational psychology professional, as a business owner in different capacities, I've been really blessed to um, be surrounded by a nice network of people, but those two people, you know, their knowledge and their friendship, you know, it's it's not... Um, sometimes you do have to, in a sense, separate your friendship. You know, you have your party friends, your turn up friends, and you got the ones that you pray with and so on and so forth. They so happen to just cross so many dots. Um, so, yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. And, you know, I have a few more questions for you before I ask those, though. I just want to say again for making time today, sharing your story, sharing, sharing a little bit more about your business. I really appreciate you making time.
1: So thank you for having me and for your flexibility. Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, if someone was just meeting you or, you know, you can make the question even more challenging by saying your your own friends, but if somebody was just meeting, what's one thing that people are generally surprised about to find out about you, whether it's um, a quirk you have, whether it's some cool thing from your history and your family history, whatever it might be. But what's one thing that people are generally surprised to find out about you and no rush on a response? <laughs> Um, oh man.
1: Um, a lot of people I, I think a lot of people have trouble believing the fact that I'm extremely introverted. Um, and it depends on how you met me and in which circle you met me. I think now more. Um, I'm a little more to myself, but oftentimes if you meet me in you know New Orleans or uh, you you happen to put your child in my children's choir or something um, or something like you more than likely are seeing the ball of energy. Um, that's just bouncing off the walls off the time all the time. Um, so people are, I think and some people are are surprised by the extent of my introversion. Um, they're like really like, oh my gosh, really? Um, but yeah, I think that's something that people it people never see it coming. Some people don't accept it. some people don't receive it. <laughs> um, even those I've grown up with, some of them are like, no way. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I think a lot of people are surprised to find out about me.
0: I think lately that that would have been the answer I'd give. I think we are similar on that. Like sometimes depending on where in my life an individual met me or right. in what scenario, they might have met me at a seminar that was four days mm-hmm. long and I was just hyper all week long because mm-hmm. I was super happy to meet people right. that have gone to me in high school when I would like be doing the most so I could get some attention whatever it might be right you know it depends on it depends on where they met me but now as I get older like people are like yeah, that man stays to himself. He's all by right. Himself. right. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny.
1: And I we think you understand that about hands. introversion, like you, you just need the time by yourself to recharge. So exactly. yes, it's probably more probable that, Hey, if you're doing a seminar, you have all that energy because you've really taken the time for yourself to be like, okay, I need to build this up for the next four days. But
0: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. And you know, our second to last question today is, you know, what are you looking forward to in the future personally or professionally? um, entrepreneurially, if that's even a word. Um, but yeah, just, you know, let's say the next five to 10 years, what are you really excited about?
1: Um, living life on purpose. That's a hard question. Um, I, I even hate getting those in like job interviews and stuff. Where do you see yourself? Um, I don't know what the right answer to that is. Um, but honestly, living my life on purpose, I, to today, right now, this week, this month, this year, my biggest focus is just enjoying the season that I'm in. Yes. Finding contentment in every season that I'm in a good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned to do that to a very good extent. I often have to remind myself that, Hey girl, this is what we're doing. Remember. Um, but I think that's where I see myself in five years, just enjoying Absolutely. whatever life has to offer me um, and, and really doing life on purpose. Um, I think the pandemic did, did a number on a lot of us. I think what it did. And of course having experienced lost even before then, um, I I think it's just really taught us the importance of living life on purpose, doing the things you want to do, you know? Um, And I realize a lot of times when people said, oh, you you know, are you crazy? You're you're this Haitian kid growing up in Spring Valley, New York, who goes to South Korea, right? And I remember someone saying like, when you have kids, are you just going to tell them that you had dreams that you didn't follow? Or are you going to tell them about those experiences? And so even though, even to me, it was like a crazy thing, hey, Okay, let's just go for it. You know, um, I think that's also what I try to keep in my head now, where it's like just live life on purpose, you know, life is not promised. And that's where I see what I see myself doing in five years. I do hope and pray that um I'm a little kinder to myself and and give myself even more flexibility to take time off and to just pause. Um, because I do acknowledge that I do work a lot. Um, <laughs> but I think that's really what I would like, and I, and I, I hope, and I pray that, you know, those around me will be inspired to do the same thing, even if it's in the workplace, whether it's for the business, um, that's really
0: what I hope. I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's your very, 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 very last day on earth. You're 160 years old. You've lived as long as you've wanted to live. You've done everything you've wanted to do. You've, 160.
1: Achieved, everything. Oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> hey, you've achieved everything you've wanted to achieve, but your great-great-grandchildren are sitting at your feet, and everything you've done is going to be deleted once you pass away later that day. And they ask you, can you please, great-great-great-grandma, give me one piece of advice on how to live a good life? What are you going to say?
1: First and foremost, I would be sitting there with no teeth. <laughs> Boldly. I would say, I, I just, <laughs> just want to say, like yesterday, I, I bumped into two customers and their best friends. They've been best friends for decades, and they had no teeth, like, in public, oh. smiling. One of them had, like, a few, but... um, <laughs> And it, it was the cutest thing. Anyway, I would be sitting there with no teeth um, uh, and telling them if I had one piece of advice, um, live every single day like it's your last day. Whatever that means. Live every single day like it's your last day. Do not live your life as if you're on borrowed time. You're not. You live every single day like it's your last day whatever that means. I love and it. that also means being kind to yourself while you're kind to others. But yeah.
0: Yes ma'am. I mean. yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I love it. Thank you so much. Before we run out of here today, please let the audience know where they can find you, how they can support you. And if anything's popping up, maybe an event or maybe a new product, anything, feel free to share and just plug whatever you want to plug.
1: Yes. Um. Thank you. Um, where can you find me juliettenewynelson.com um j-u-l-i-e-t-t-e and as in nancy you are i-n-e-l-s-o-n juliettenewynelson.com you can find me on instagram you can find me on facebook under that same name um i am on linkedin as Juliet nelson um you you can google me now uh because newy has been featured on all these different platforms um, so when you look at Back to Juliet Nelson, you can also see some of the cool things that I've been working on. Um, and you will have access to all of the work that I do. Um, so whether it's Junuri, whether it's Fwashing, whether it's the publishing company, whether it's the iWork company, you're able to see all of the great things that I do. Um, if you add me on LinkedIn, feel free to say that you saw me um, on this show. Um, Callis, it is an honor to be on your show. I love your energy um, and the drive that you bring. Um, And I did listen to some of the clips from the other episodes as well. So definitely mention that you saw me on the show and because I, I, I would like to make sure I distinguish you from other people who are selling me marketing services. But, but yeah, you can um, go to my website, find me on social media um, and we'll be in touch. And I definitely will say, hey.
0: I love it. I love it. Dr. Juliet Nelson here. She killed it. Five-star review because she's a five-star lady. Make oh, sure you Share you. with the friend you, friends. Five star man. Need to hear about her. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much today, Dr. Dr. Nelson. And you know what else? We're gonna shout out Dr. Nelson today because she's the one that's actually recording this Zoom episode right now and, and looking out for Collis because he comes unprepared. But no, thank you so much.
1: I was going to look out for you though. I was
0: going to (laughs) say, hey, you know, we got to be grateful. We got to be grateful. I'm grateful out loud, okay? I'm grateful out loud. I hear that. I hear that. (laughs) I love it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you share this with the friends so they can hear about Dr. Juliet Nelson's show or (laughs) about this show and about what Dr. Juliet Nelson is doing in the world because she's killing it. Thank you guys for listening. This is your boy C I double Z Y signing out. Salud.